This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescents, ours and theirs. Cara, I'm so excited for this episode with Dana Abraham, partially because she's so much fun to talk to and partially because she addresses an area of caring for kids that we haven't covered all that much. Dana is a national board certified educator and she's the parent of three neurodivergent children and she herself is ADHD. So she has a lot of experience and an out-of-the-box perspective in raising kids through the modern world. She's incredible. She has a book out this week, I think, called Calm the Chaos. It is the most compassionate look at getting your house in order, like literally when things are going off the rails, because this is what she does. She does it on her website called Lemon Lime Adventures. She helps parents help kids calm their chaos. I loved talking to her. Okay, let's just go. Hi, Dana. (laughs) Hi. It is so great to meet you. We have been ingesting whole your amazing book, Calm the Chaos, which is 
probably the best title of a book ever. And then I want the t-shirt and the tote bag and the weighted blanket. And <laughs> Gosh, a weighted blanket, that would be so good. That would be good, right? Oh my gosh. That would yeah. Be- I, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that su- suggestion for free. Go for it. Oh it just... I, yeah. <laughs> I want to find someone now that makes weighted blankets with, <laughs> with promo Im- images on it. So let's start with why did you write a book called Calm the Chaos? Like, oh. tell us about your life, your family. What has led you to this moment of writing such a book? As my husband says, he's like, I feel like you've lived a thousand lives already. <laughs> And um, that is so true. And I barely even touched the surface in the book, but I was kind of born into chaos. And one part of that is that my brother is bipolar. And so I was on the receiving end of his explosive meltdowns growing up. And then when I got into adulthood, I became a teacher and my favorite kids were the ones that were full of chaos and that came with a paper trail behind them and all the teachers knew and talked about in the teacher's lounge. And so when I became a parent, I figured, I mean, I had 10 years of teaching behind me and all of this life experience, I figured I was going to be the world's best parent. I actually pictured that like someone like Ed McMahon was going to come with one of those big checks and like a big medal. And I was going to be like, world's best parent. And I was like, (laughs) yes, I killed this because like, that's what I wanted to do. That is not what happened in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Um, I was handed a child who was here to teach me how to calm the chaos and figure out a lot about life and a lot about how to think and do and act differently. His first seven years of life, I felt like an absolute failure. And like, I couldn't do anything right. Mm -hmm. And by the time he was in second grade, it was just so evident he didn't fit into a traditional school setting. And so I decided to bring him home and figure out him and figure out us and help him navigate the world. And In doing so, I also looked online for advice and for help and everything was picture perfect. It was 10 years ago, it was at the age of like Pinterest on the rise and everything was perfect. And I was like, really, am I the only parent that doesn't know what I'm doing? Like this Mm. just seems crazy. So I decided to start a blog and I started sharing the ups and downs and what I was learning as I was learning it. And lo and behold, I wasn't the only one. There were millions of other parents going through this. And so I've worked with parents around the world now sharing what I've learned and this framework. And I've seen it do magical things for families. Um, And I truly believe that it is a way forward to create a more compassionate and empowering world where, you know, people are seen and, and heard for who they are. And so that's kind of my mission behind it. Okay, so we're going to start at the sort of broadest base. I was going to say at the top, but I feel like really it's the base. And then we're going to get into some nitty gritty because you just drop these pearls of incredible wisdom constantly. And I want those to be shared here. I want people to hear all of them. Actually, I just just go read the book and you can read all of them. But I want to get as many into this conversation as possible, but we have to start broad. So Can we talk about that kid or challenging kids? Can you help people understand the frame of reference that you have, what your starting point was, what you mean by that word? 
Yeah. So the word challenging kid can be really uh, triggering for some people. And they'll say, no, you mean a kid with challenging behavior. And when you are raising that kid, the kid that doesn't fit the mold, the kid that's not like the neighbors, the kid that is, um, I just got off of a coaching call with a parent, the kid that is intense, they take a lot, they live hard, they have big emotions, they take up a lot of space. When you're raising that kid, if you ask a parent, If you had to describe your kid in one word, what would they say? And they would say, they're challenging. They're just so hard. And it doesn't mean that they don't love them. And it doesn't mean that the kid is bad, but everyone around this kid feels challenged by this kid. Our belief system is challenged by them. How we were raised is challenged by them. What we believe we know. I mean, my son challenged everything I thought I knew about education and parenting and child rearing and what was right and how to do this. And he found holes in all of it. And these kids, they are on that outskirt of what's the norm, what is quote unquote the norm. And so they're struggling to be seen and heard for who they are and what they need. And I want to make sure before listeners who think, oh, the rest of this podcast is just for people who are managing kids who meet that definition. I want to be very, very clear that while that was your initial intended audience, there is nothing about what you're a, you're going to share with us and this conversation that doesn't apply to every kind of kid. I mean, that to me, that's the most incredible thing about what you're putting out into the world. And also sort of to Vanessa's point, this is the best title ever because everyone's got a little dose of chaos. Not everyone has that kid, but everyone faces a version of the demons that you describe and that you work to help parents and other adults understand and master. And so to those people who don't have a challenging kid who wouldn't describe their child that way, I just encourage you to hang in there in this conversation, because this conversation is as much about your family as anyone else's. 100%. And we were talking about this a little bit before we got started. When I started, it was people would come to me and we were a last resort. They had tried everything. We'd have parents who would say, I'm ready to give my child to someone that can do a better job. And that's proof that we're failing these families and these kids. And that's where we started because I had lived it. I had breathed it. But what happened is they were coming because there was one kid in their family that was causing this this rip and it wasn't the kid causing it, but it was the misunderstandings and and all the challenges around it. And then they started applying it to the siblings and to the older brothers and to uh, their spouse and to grandparents. And then they were like, wait a second, this is really a way for us to create a family that works together, that advocates for each other, that hears each other, that, you know, and really, really, truly enjoy spending time together. And it does work with all types of children, all types of challenges from my teenager won't get off his screen ever or, you know, clean up his room to uh, my kids getting kicked out of school. You know, like it, it ranges and it works for any of those. So let's dig in. Okay. So for people who haven't seen it yet, the book is broken down into very, very digestible chunks And it is broken into like tiny little modules so you can pick it up and search a particular thing. And it's step by step by step. So people who like very clear instructions, very tactical advice, who are visual learners, like it's really written 
in a super inclusive way for all different kinds of learners, which I think is awesome. You are practicing what you preach. And you start at the beginning, which is how do we weather the storm? How do we get the storm to abide and quiet? And you provide frameworks from there, Dana, but you begin with how can we be the calm in the storm when everything is going on around us? So start there. How do we build that base? You know? Yeah. So that first step is, you know, in everything that we, each of the modules, as you call them, or stages is built off of a four part process, which is you, the person, the parent as a calm presence, like you're saying, and then connection, which is about seeing the kid who's in front of you, accepting the kids you have, not the kids you want. And then understanding, which is like getting under the root of what's really going on. Why is this happening? And then empowerment, which is about empowering everyone that's involved. And when you're first starting out, when you're dealing with you know, big arguments or you're dealing with these storms, as I call them, then you need a plan until you have a plan that solves things. Because we, as parents, we want to jump in, we want to fix, we want to, we want to solve, we want to make this pain go away for ourselves or for our kid. And until we have the skills and the knowledge to do that, we still need something to get through the storm. And, you know, the easiest way to describe it is like, I grew up in, tornado alley. I now live here again. And we just had a tornado rip through here and just devastate our little town. Mm. And when the tornado sirens went off, they go off every Wednesday at noon. And when it went off on a Thursday in the afternoon, everyone knew to the basement you go. Like that's what you do. You go to the basement, you go to the bathroom, you put a mattress over your head and you wait it out. You're not fixing, you're not solving, you're not trying to like batter things down. It's too late. You just go and you wait it out. And that's what this plan is all about is how do you wait it out and get everyone to safety? And that has to start with your own brain getting to safety. So if you perceive your child's behavior or the challenge you're in front of, And I can use electronics as one, right? Right now, electronics is a huge enemy for a lot of parents. And so if you're having this massive battle over electronics and you see it as this end of life problem that is going to rip your kid apart and rip your family apart, you're going to respond very differently than if you're like, okay, this is a problem. This is a moment and we can get through this. And so that first ride the storm is really about reminding your own brain, hey, friend, we're okay. We can get through this and grounding yourself in something that really does make your brain believe it. And then that connection piece that it's super simple when you're riding the storm, the connection piece really is just changing your body language. So instead of like gritting through your teeth, how dare you? Why are you on that again? How many times do I have to tell you? You're just stopping and you're just shifting your body language. And that's really the plan in the heat of the moment. Vanessa, do you ever do that thing when you're just standing in your closet, staring at your clothes, trying to figure out what to wear, when you know five minutes later, you're going to be sweating right through it? Yeah. I mean, Cara, I do it all summer long. And I even see my kids do it too. They may not have fully mature brains, but they do know that if it's already hot and humid at breakfast, it's not getting much better through the rest of the day. Do you know what else I notice? What? They grab their oom shorts. Yeah, they do. 
It's so funny because we launched the brand Umla to create products that would make going through puberty more comfortable. But they're great for any hot and sweaty time, not just the sweatiness of puberty. Bras that feel great against the body and help manage developing boobs, shorts that are loose and airy like the opposite of underwear, and socks that don't smell even on the sweatiest days. So when temps run high, go to myoomla.com and use the code PUBERTYPODCAST at checkout for 15% off your order. That's myoomla, M-Y-O-O-M-L-A.com and use the code PUBERTYPODCAST. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready-to-eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never-frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Okay, so one of the pearls, say I promise to get your pearls in, is this concept around safety of stop, breathe, anchor. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of parents and adults who are involved in the lives of kids, if they were involved in the lives of young kids, toddlers, they certainly did this at that time. In a moment of chaos, you stop, right? But you describe stopping in great detail. You literally walk through, you know, you plant your feet. You do not move. You physically, mentally, emotionally, you stop. Mm -hmm. Then you breathe and you walk through the neurochemical impact of breath and oxygen in the brain. And then you anchor. Will you explain anchoring? Yes. So an anchor is something that is going to remind your brain, hey, we're safe. We're good. Your kid is not a bear. You do not have to be afraid of them. And so this anchor is unique to each individual because we all have our own past and histories and our own makeup and how we're built. And so this anchor could be a memory. So it could be reminding yourself of the time when your child was a little baby and they just needed you. It could also be a sensory anchor. This could be like a certain smell or a certain scent. And you were talking about a weighted blanket earlier. If it's really bad, maybe you're wrapping yourself in a weighted blanket, but it's it's one item instead of here's 50 things you can do to calm yourself. It's before the next storm happens, it's saying, What is your anchor, your one phrase, your one memory, your one thing? I was just on a, like I said, on a call with a client and she was talking about going on a trip with a kid and he is really sensory seeking, meaning that his body is just moving all the time. And she's like, it's so hard to go on a trip with him because he's always running into me with the suitcase. He's Mm. rolling over my feet. He's running into my heels. He's bumping Mm. into me and I hurt. And then I end up yelling at him. Mm -hmm. I can stay calm the first time, but after that, like, all right, we need a stop, breathe, anchor. And so we're going through that. And she goes, but I am using empathy. And I said, yeah, but how often are you stopping? And she's like, well, I can't stop in the airport. I said, but you can stop in the airport. That one second of stopping, planting your feet, like you just said, taking a big, deep breath, even putting your hands on your chest and just going, your kid's going to be like, why are you stopping? And you can be like, because that really hurt. And I just want to remember that you didn't mean to do that to me. Like, I'm just taking a moment for myself. 
you're not teaching them, although you are, you're modeling, but you're not using it as a teaching moment. You're not saying, Hey buddy, that really hurt. Can you please be careful? Because when you say that five times, you're going to end up exploding, right? Because you've never stopped. You've never calmed your whole body down. Yeah. I want to get into, cause some of the stuff that you push back against in the book surprised me and may surprise our listeners about setting boundaries and setting limits and, you know, advice that many of us have read in other places and frankly used in our own homes and why those things might not work. So I can get more granular, Dana, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And I'd love for you to explore your view on some of those approaches. So I think, especially as our kids get older, we are so worried about them going into the real world that we feel like we need to set these firm limits and boundaries so they know what they should and shouldn't do and what's allowed and not allowed. But if we don't take the time to understand why they're doing what they're doing, then guess what? When we release that boundary and they go out on their own, they're still going to go do that thing. Right. We haven't actually taught them the skills they need to go out into the world to be able to be independent. And so what I believe is instead of it, boundaries are great and limits are great in certain contexts. But right now, I think that a lot of it has become kind of consequences and rules in sheep clothing. Like I think that it's we're using it as, well, I'm just being this like this firm standing and I'm also doing it very kindly. And it's like, but you didn't get your kids buy-in. You didn't find out why they're actually doing what they're doing. You don't have any trust with your kid. And so why are they supposed to listen to you? Why are they supposed to fit this boundary just because it's what you said to do? And so what I believe is more impactful is helping your child feel seen and heard and talking through, but these are my concerns. But this is why I don't want this. I'll, I can give an example even. And I'm, I might need to go deeper into my like rationale here. But for an example, my son, he just turned 18 and he has for four years wanted a katana. Do you guys know what a katana is? Mm-hmm. Okay. It is a no. like ninjutsu sword. Like, oh, oh my yeah. God. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> now okay. I know what it is. Okay. It's like a massive sword. And if you've read the book, you know that my son dealt with a lot of aggression growing up. Okay, so he has wanted this sword for over four years. I don't want a sword in my house. That's my personal boundary. My personal boundary is I don't feel safe having a sword in my home when I have a child that has low impulse control and that can get angry. And so I've shared those concerns with him and he shared his concerns with me and we've gone back and forth. And one of them was, well, you can't even buy it because look on the website, it says you have to be 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Well, he just turned 18 and he still lives in my house. And he says, I'm turning 18 and I know you have concerns. Now, how many kids actually (laughs) say that like that? So he comes to me, he says, I know you have concerns. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. What if we get a case that locks up and What if I agree that I'll only use it outside or I'll use it at a dojo? And I said, I agree to these things as long as I get to hold the key when you're unmedicated, when you're upset and in the middle of the night. Because those are the times you're most dysregulated. And he was like, I can agree to those terms, right? I still got to hold my safety boundary. He still got to share his wants, his desires, and we got to problem solve and communicate 
but it wasn't like, no, I told you, no, this isn't happening. No means no. There's so much more conversation there and collaboration. And the conversation did not go to, well, actually I'm 18 and I can do it anyways. So another pearl, you have one win a day in your book, which I love this concept and maybe we can talk about it. That sounds like a win. It's That's a huge win. Huge win, right? And huge I just want to say, Car, for listeners thinking, I would still never let my kid have a sword in their house. Right. The point isn't about the sword or yeah. not the sword. The point is that over many years of conversation, connection, communication, partnership, and collaboration, you and your kid have developed a way of communicating that is mutually respectful, that has kind of some rules and parameters that allow you to explore tough subject mm -hmm. respectfully, that have taught you each how to be better listeners to each other's needs. So it's actually just a method for understanding why hearing your kid out, why involving them in the process and the conversation is ultimately a really great skill and process to go through as a family and as a, as a caregiver. And particularly when the rules change, when they turn 18, a series of rules change. And if you have not built the foundation before they turn 18, there is an increasingly, I'd say, steep climb. It's not impossible, but the laws make it harder to continue to just build the foundational pieces. So it doesn't mean if your kids are over 18, you can't do it. It just means if they're not sure. there yet, the world is giving you a little bit of a leg up as a, as the adult in their life to do it for them. So it's, that's the win, right? Exactly. Yeah. As you articulated, Vanessa, that is the win. Yeah. And, you know, the example I use in the book too, is around like hitting, right? So this is one where when we're dealing with, we're dealing with much younger and I know the, your audience is a little older, but when we're dealing with a younger child and they're, they're hitting, we can say, you can have big feelings, but you can't hit me. And it's like, well, they don't have another skill yet. They don't have another way of dealing with this anger. So what are they supposed to do in the meantime? Right. And so the boundary there is, I don't like to be hit. So I'm going to step backwards. I don't want to be hit. It hurts when I get hit. So I'm stepping backwards. With my son, as he got older, I don't want to have a conversation when you're yelling at me. So I'm going to stop the conversation and we'll have it in a little bit. That's my personal boundary. Boundaries are not about what the other person can or can't do. He can yell. He's mad. He's yelling. That's how he's dealing with it but I can't, I'm not going to talk to you while you're yelling. Right. And there's a real acknowledgement in everything that you do. Tina Payne Bryson talks about this a lot. When the temperature is high, it is impossible for any of us to tap into our rational brain and to be calm, cool, and collected. As you use words like boundary and strategies like stop and anchor, really what you're doing in a lot of different ways is turning the temperature down for anyone involved. And you can't control the temperature for your child. I can't control the temperature for anyone else in my life, but we can control our own thermostat, except in menopause. And then we can't control our thermostat. <laughs> we can't control it at all. <laughs> but that's a whole other podcast for another day. Just wait, Vanessa. You're going to... Yeah. And I'm, I'm not there yet, but soon... <laughs> So let's talk about one win a day because 
Cara loved the concept so much that she texted her whole family. I underlined I it 85 times in the book. I'm pulling up the text thread. Can I read the text yeah. thread? Okay. I'm not going to read the whole text thread because, well, my family doesn't listen to my podcast, so it's okay. They won't know I'm reading it. But I, you know, I'm just going to read snippets. So I said, I'm reading this book in preparation for a podcast interview. And one of the things the author talks about is the impact of the mantra, one win a day. She's amassed a pretty significant online community and says that almost everyone who has adopted the practice of identifying one win a day reports overall increased happiness and mindset reframing. I'm passing along to you because it feels pretty simple and makes good sense. Okay. So I put that to my family chat. Okay. I might've been traveling that day. So my husband, he's the first to chime in. Your win today was getting to the airport with an extra three minutes to spare. Yes. <laughs> okay. Then my daughter who is traveling right now and she's having a lot of trouble finding healthy food on the road and she craves fresh fruits and vegetables being a California kid. My win today was eating not one, but two meals with vegetables. Okay. Love it. I mean, it's so funny. Then there was a news alert about one of the Charles Manson cult leaders being released on parole, to which I said, I think I know her win today. And then the chat devolves for a while. Okay. And then it goes to Larry Nasser. We don't have to get into that. But everyone on the chat, the whole family could chime in with either a true win or a funny, it's a bonding concept. It's like your roses and thorns, but it's more fun. And so can we talk about how people can implement one win a day, not necessarily on social media, right? But just in the context of their own personal lives. Yeah. So one win a day was, you know, built out of necessity for me. I was not able to go to the grocery store without my husband and my son getting in a massive fight. And so I was starting to believe that they would never get along. They have a step relationship. And so there was that added pressure of, well, it's not his born child. And so maybe they'll never bond. Right. So I, all the, what I call thought monsters started taking over and all the what ifs and the oh no's and the catastrophizing thoughts. And so I devised this very secretive plan to have them notice one small tiny win between each other. And then that grew into, okay, fine, I'll do it. Right. That's how it started. It was like, okay, I guess like you helped your sister today. Right. And it's not just focusing on the positives, but it really is starting to look for these things that are going okay or better than okay in your day. And so you're looking for progress. You're looking for three steps forward. Even if there's two steps back, you're looking for, you know, I got an extra three minutes at the airport. I got an extra, I read one chapter today. Let, let me tell you, it wasn't an extra three minutes. It was an absolutely necessary three minutes. Tara <laughs> likes to go to the airport no. as close to leaving no. time as no. possible. No, I don't. I don't. But I'm married to someone who would like to move into the airport 24 hours in advance of a flight Me too. and just Me too. camp out. The same way. That's why right. Paul and I get along so well. Cause I, I like, I would rather sit in the airport for an extra two hours than have the stress. Well, me too. Flight. Let me tell you. And that's going to so be my I do, win I next do the, week. 
I'm, yeah. I do early for the airport, the first airport, but I am notorious for booking 45 minute layovers, oh, which see, there you go. I just, you know, why do I do it to myself? I got to so work in a work tomorrow and I am stopping in Doha for 45 minutes. I've never <gasps> been to Doha. I don't know where I'm going. Why is it 45 minutes? Oh my God. Run, put your running shoes on. I think you need to outsource to a travel agent who will force you into a two hour layover. So the win can be small. The win win can be be, specific. Yes. Um, But you talk about how wins, and I think it was atomic change. Is that who you were? Atomic habits. Atomic habits. So really focusing on that one tiny percent change, because a lot of times we focus on, I want to lose a hundred pounds. I want to run a marathon. And so if we can focus on those tiny habits that we're building, then over time, those start to accumulate. And then they actually start to just grow massively. And Uh, You know, I just had someone in my group today post their 100th win, but they posted their 100th win. And just that alone, and if you think about it, that's three months, little more than three months of posting every single day. And this is someone that in there, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. And she's able to find one tiny thing that's working every day. And the picture she posted today was of her and her daughter on a bike ride. Oh, like wow. it's a powerful, powerful yeah. thing, but tiny. Can we take that and can we pivot just slightly, but stay on theme mm-hmm. to talk about when the adults in the situation, the parents or the adults raising the kids do have disappointment, fear, they're dealing with their own hurdles. What are some tools in the mm-hmm. toolbox that those adults can use? So I think, you know, that's why the framework is you connect, understand, empower, because a lot of parenting methods and advice out there is about the set firm boundaries, which is the empower part, those systems that you need um, to provide structure. A lot will talk about connection and it'll talk about building this connection and having one-on-one time. But if we ourselves are entering the situation with disappointment, with sadness, with frustration, we're not going to be available to connect with our kid. We're also not going to be able to be curious about why the behavior is happening. And we're definitely not going to be open to be able to solve problems together and be able to collaborate and come up with a solution that works for everyone. And so that essential piece at whatever stage you're in is to really pay attention to what is the thought I have going on first before I enter the situation. What is the fear I have going on? What am I disappointed about? Why is this a problem for me? And one of the tools that I share in the in the moment plan is thought monsters and super swaps. And it's this idea that you depersonalize your thoughts and you create a character around them. Now, we've got some that have very real names because we've used them for the last five years in our community, but you can make up your own. So we have really common ones are the always and never beast. The always and never beast is my kid always leaves his shoes at the front door when he walks in. My kid never cleans up his dishes. And so when we're thinking those things, we can't see any of those wins that you just described. You can't see any of those tiny, oh, he did clean up his, look at that, the dishes, right? Um, Like the other day, our win was our 15-year-old cut the watermelon and put the extra pieces 
in a Tupperware container in the refrigerator. Miracle. Congratulations. Just happened. (laughs) We actually thought maybe someone snuck in the house and did it. But since it happened in the middle of the night, we were like, it must have been the 15 year old. And it did have the like cut off top of the watermelons. We knew it was him. But um, and he was it turns out he was sleepwalking. (laughs) (laughs) He must have. We were like, You use the whole, anyway, we were super, super excited about that. But if I only focused on my son never cleans up, he always leaves a mess. I would have missed that. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have paid attention to it. And so when we can identify what is the thought monster getting in our way of connection, understanding and empowerment, and we can swap it for something else. So always a never beast. I like to swap it for fact finder, Freddie. And so fact finder Freddy is I'm looking for proof of the opposite. I'm looking for proof that I actually can do this thing. I'm looking for proof that my son is actually starting to trust me. I'm looking for proof that I can have conversations about hard things with my kid. So you're looking for proof of the opposite of the thing you're believing. And that connects to a concept that you talk a lot about that all behavior is communication, right? And so the notion that if you're able to see the behaviors of the kids in your lives, or if they're able to see your behaviors, you're saying so much more with your actions or you're saying you're speaking with your actions. It's not even that you're saying more because if you're like me, you're talking all the time, but your behaviors speak loudly. Cutting the watermelon and putting it in the Tupperware is a form of communication that I think says, I heard you. I'm doing my best. I'm stepping up. I'm doing it the way you want me to do. It. I mean, it's like a, it's a beautiful communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that actually also will then remove that anger, that frustration when you think it's manipulative, when you think it's against you, when you think it's just a, a bid for, for power, when you look at it that way, you are going to get into more power struggles with your kid. I see it in schools all the time with the teachers, especially in high school that look at the kids and they're like, oh, you're just doing this because you're lazy. You're Mm -hmm. just doing this to get away with something. And when you look at behavior that way, you already, your brain is like, red alert, red alert, things are wrong. You need to be defensive. You need to, you need to nip this in the bud. And if you can, I don't ever know if it's butt or butt. I don't know which one it's supposed to be. That's so funny. There's a few phrases that I'm not totally like, I always thought it was one foul swoop, but it's actually one fell swoop. That was a correction. It's usually my mother who corrects me, Dana. So nip it in the bud. I it think, bud. Okay. I think it's, but should I look it up? It should no, be it's totally fine. I'm just saying like, I know, but this is I how am, I spend my free time is thinking about things like this. this how most of my edits came back for the book is because <laughs> I say something and they're like, that is not what that is. <laughs> that is an incorrect application of that <laughs> phrase. Yeah. I mean, I found that part of it really interesting because we always tell parents like it's in the bud, nip it in the bud. Okay. Um, we always tell parents like, even if a kid is acting not in the way you want, it's information, right? So you're saying all behavior is communication. All behavior is information that goes into the data bank. That's how Lisa Damore describes it is it's data for us to like plug into a larger spreadsheet for lack of it. I hate spreadsheets, but Cara does. So I use that. Um, I, I use them. that metaphor. But that gets us to the metaphor that you use of the iceberg, which I just love so much. And I was thinking about my 
now 17 year old, but when he was younger, I was always busy reacting to the tip of the iceberg that I could see, right? And the behavior that was driving me crazy and was turning me into a person that I didn't like and a parent I wasn't proud of. And if I could only have thought of the iceberg, if I if only this book had come out a decade ago, Dana, I would have known that the tip of the iceberg, what I could see was only a tiny percentage of the whole iceberg. And there was so much going on beneath the surface. So talk to us about that whole iceberg and how we are able to kind of see what we can actually see with the naked eye. Yeah. So exactly what you just said is that whatever you're seeing on the outside, and that can be with your spouse. I mean, if we just think of like, you walk into a room and you like yell at your spouse and, um, and then I don't know what you're talking about. You never yell at your partner. (laughs) I'm joking. I think I might've done it on the way out. That's the tip of (laughs) Vanessa's iceberg. (laughs) So yeah, you know, you like, you snap at your, your spouse and they're like, what the heck just happened? Like, what did I do? Now they can have, they have a choice. They can take that super personally, or they can pause and say, okay, what is under the surface here? What is really going on? Oh, they, you know, we're running late on this meeting. They've got to travel tomorrow. They have to still pack. They still have all these things. And I just asked them to write an outline for something in two hours. Yeah. Maybe that's why she yelled. Not speaking from experience. What's not that? talking about what just happened. Not before talking you about what just happened. There's nothing specific about that example at all. No. <laughs> I sense a blog post coming, Dana. <laughs> so we can take that same example and we can look at it with our kids. Is that like exactly what you just described? What you see is just the tiny sliver above the water of the iceberg and below is all these unmet needs that we need to discover and look for. And there's a lot of now, 10 years ago, this didn't exist when I was trying to figure this out. But now there's a lot of, you look online and there's a lot of memes like the ADHD iceberg and the this iceberg and the that iceberg. And when you see the iceberg, there are like 500 things under the iceberg. And you're like, great, what do I do? Do I just put that picture on my wall and I throw darts at it? Like, how am I supposed to figure out what's actually under the surface? And so what we have discovered by working with all these different families is there's some pretty common things that are under the iceberg. And the very first thing is basic needs. And as parents, when we first have kids, that's all we're doing is paying attention to our kids' basic needs. We are in tune with, are they hungry? Are they tired? Do they need a diaper change? Are their clothes uncomfortable? Whatever. We're just paying attention to that. But the thing that gets missed, and especially with teenagers or preteens, is do they feel safe? It goes back to that safety piece. Do they feel secure in themselves and with their surroundings? Mm -hmm. And after the last, you know, three years, most kids don't, right? A lot of humans don't. It's why you're seeing on planes, these grown adults having fits. That's just the tip of the iceberg. They don't feel safe for some reason. And so we know lots of reasons why they don't feel safe, but that unpredictability can really cause a lot of feelings of unsafety. The worry, the fear of what's coming next, of that big exam or of, you know, I think of my daughter's way too young still, but she's, she's 10. And so she's, you know, it's not way too young, but I'm starting to be like, okay, something's coming, you know? And um, so I'm having to prep her for 
there's a period coming and all of that. And that unknown fear of when is that happening Mm -hmm. is still there, right? And so you're going to see some behaviors around that. And what's hard is that sometimes I feel like by identifying what's underneath the surface, I'm actually planting a seed that maybe, maybe I'm over identifying and that's not at all what's under the surface. And one of the things that gets easier as they get older, especially if you're able to go through all these techniques and open up lines of communication is you get better at communicating and they get better at saying what's under the surface because it's the rare moment. It takes a long time of parenting to realize it's the rare moment where you're anticipating what's happening to them wrong. The thing that we get wrong all the time, and I still get wrong all the time, is given the knowledge I have about what's under the surface, how am I going to talk to them about that? That I have not mastered yet, right? And I try- My son I'm, told me the other day that I have not mastered the sex talk, if it makes you feel any better. Oh, that oh, makes well, me feel better. And he goes, please- let people know when you're on these podcasts that you are not an expert at this talk. He can that come awesome. hang out with us because <laughs> we're pretty darn, we're pretty our, darn good at that one. We mess our, everything You're not doing up, a good so. job with this one, mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, our kids are, are for, well, they were for a long time embarrassed that we in fact have mastered the sex talk. But as Vanessa said, we have mastered no other talk. So right. I, you know, I, I do find that that's a piece of this puzzle that's hard for a lot of parents, which is they're worried about, you know, again, to quote Lisa Damore, this idea, if you have a child who's really depressed and you are trying to gauge where they are, to ask them if they've ever thought about harming themselves, parents worry, am I going to plant a seed? You're not. You're gathering data. You're trying to figure out what's underneath the surface. And the more that you've built that trust and that relationship, the easier it gets, like you just said. And, and so you can start to, you can start to read and interpret the signs you're getting and you can start going down the checklist. Is it basic needs and safety? Is it connection? Like lack of belonging? I mean, you're going to see a lot of that around 13 when they feel like nobody's listening to me, right? Like they don't feel connected. They don't feel heard. Um, So a lot of the behaviors are just coming because they don't feel like they have that autonomy. The next one is sensory and that one gets missed so often. And so are they overloaded or are they underwhelmed with their sensory input? And a lot of kids, you know, they sit in school all day. They're supposed to sit and be quiet and do their work and they're not getting a lot of movement. And so they're not getting that sensory need met. And then when they come home, they just explode because they've held it all in and it's been under the surface for a long time. And then the next one is skills, right? So if they're lacking those skills to be able to do the thing, and that means communication, that's self-awareness, that's the self-regulation. And you hear so often people jumping to self-regulation and jumping to self-awareness, but if they don't know how to recognize, are my basic needs met? Do I feel heard and seen and like I belong? And are my sensory needs met? Then it doesn't matter what skills you teach them. Sorry. Dana, I want to close with a hard topic, which is guilt. Hmm. Right. You're giving people all sorts of guidance and strategies for when they've really hit, I don't want to say the end of the road, but a place in the road where they've been traveling for a long time, where their their car is just about to conk out, they're filthy and exhausted, they've run out of oil and gas, and they're just like, they're at the end of the road. And they feel really badly about how they've handled stuff up until now. 
And it's such a powerful, I mean, I turned to one of my kids recently when I had an epiphany about a way that I had been handling things for years that was like not helpful or useful. And I just said, I was carrying so much guilt. And I just said, I'm so sorry. Like, I wish I had known better. I wish I had done better. And he was very sweet. How do we deal with our guilt? Like there's the sense of failure and you're going to tell me it's not failure. So what is it and how do we handle those feelings? It's so interesting that you asked that because Cara, you said something and it was hitting my stomach every time you said it. You kept saying, we make the mistake and we make the mistake and we make the mistake. And every time you said it, it like burned in my stomach. And I just was like, oh, do I say something? Because you're not (laughs) always because you're not making mistakes. We assume that we're supposed to know how to do this, right? Because parents have been parents since the dawn of time, except for that all of us didn't have great role models and all of us are still learning. And it's just within the last 20 years, we've started learning about the way that the brain is really wired and the way, you know, attachment theory and things like that. That's that's in the scheme of humans, that's pretty new. And so for us to assume we should know all the things there are to know about how to parent another human being that is completely unique is too high of an expectation we're placing on ourselves. And so I don't believe that there are mistakes. I believe that everyone is doing the best that they can with what they've been given up till now. And I know I'm a pure optimist and there are going to be people who disagree with me because there are bad things that happen in this world but I truly believe that people are doing the best with what they've been given and the experiences they've had. And so they might do some things that are hurtful. They might do some things that cause some damage. You might've done some things that hurt your kid. We can't keep our kids from being hurt, but we can do one. If you're listening to this, you're definitely not a failure, right? You've been listening for the last 45 minutes to an hour if you're learning and you're trying to be a better parent, you're trying to be there for your kid, you're 100% not failing because you're there for them. But we have to help our kids make sense of when we make mistakes because then they will understand, hey, okay, mom doesn't think she has to get it perfect. Dad doesn't think he has to get it perfect. They're human. Therefore, I'm human. And it's okay for me to not get it right all the time as well. And so, you know, Dan Siegel talks about this in The Power of Showing Up, that you he did the research and you only have to get parenting 70% right. When he told me that, I like wrote it down. I was like, 70%, I can be a C student. Like, I can do this. I can. Elisa Pressman says 51% of oh, the time. I'll take, okay, and I was like, great. oh, even better. I'll take Even that. better. I will take that. I can get it 51%. Oh, Matt. Yes. Love it. That's my new number now. And so... We just have to help our kids make sense of the other part. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to hide it from ourselves. We don't have to hide it from them. We don't have to hide it from other parents because we have this assumption that everybody else has it figured out. It's such an interesting framing because I think, Vanessa, your question really comes from the feeling that you have when you reflect on something and you realize there was a different way to go and maybe that way would have taken the situation down a better, easier, faster, whatever or path. And when I use the word mistake, sometimes I'm thinking about the feeling and sometimes I'm just thinking about the outcome, like, hmm, that outcome was not good or was not what I was desiring. So I put it in the bucket of mistake, but I think distinguishing between kind of there's a better way to do it. And maybe we just use that language yes. versus, right. So just to 
to get the, the whole guilt piece out of there. Because yes, we use what's going well, what went well, what didn't, and what can I tweak? Like right. that's how I look at it is what system isn't working, not who's not working, what am I doing wrong? It's like, okay, what part of this isn't working? What system isn't working? What habit isn't working? And again, removing it from it's all of me not working or it's yeah. all of my kid not working. It's not all or nothing. Dana, you are just a font of wonderful rainbow colored wisdom. I'm looking at your hair. I'm looking at the cover of the book. Everything matches, which makes me feel really good. <laughs> and there's the a aqua. purple undertone, which is like yes. Vanessa's favorite. Ever. Uh, it's my favorite. Purple's my favorite color. A new iPhone and they only had one color. Guess what color it was? It was meant, ah, there, there they go. I have the eggplant purple phone and it makes me so happy. And I bought the matching case. Everything's eggplant purple. It's perfect. You are wonderful. Thank you for all this reassurance and constructive and tactical information that will, I know, make people feel anchored and like they can do it and one win a day and it's just an iceberg and look beneath the surface and every other little nugget that you have in there. So thank you for all this wonderful advice. We're super grateful. Thank you for having me. This has been an honor. Probably one of my, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but my favorite podcast I've been on so far. Like this, <laughs> this has been... That's okay. Amazing. You don't have to have any guilt about okay. feeling oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's been such a great conversation. I feel like we could just like pour a glass of wine as long as that's okay around here. Yes, so pour it a glass is of okay wine around and here. Sit and just chat for like hours. So thank you guys. Well, someday, hopefully we can, Dana. Yes, May you that. make your 45 minute connection in Doha. Yes. yes. Thank you. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks, Dana. Thank you guys. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com. Yet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.